The Buddha often speaks about right view. Right view is at the headwaters of the Noble Eightfold Path. So when you discover on a walk a body of water like a creek or a river, and by seeing that, you wonder, where does this water go? Where does it lead? So you choose to walk along it. Walking along it, there may be roots and trees and overgrowth that block your way. But still through it all, you can catch sight of the water traveling. You catch sight of it, so you follow it. You keep following it. You blaze a trail along its banks. Maybe sometimes there's a sandy place where the path is clear. Other times it's not clear. It's confused. You get lost, misdirected. You lose hope or faith. And then suddenly you come into a clearing and there is the river or the creek and it's getting wider. So it feels like you're going in the right direction. And you keep walking and exploring and discovering and searching and musing and meandering. So much transpires for the one who travels this kind of way. And the river gets bigger and the view gets clearer until you really see it all the time. It never leaves your consciousness, never. So your confidence grows because that which you started out with that was narrow and small suddenly grows so wide and clear that it doesn't leave your view. And so you confidently walk along its bank. Now the river is so wide that everything else pales in comparison to its proportions. And it fills up your view, your life, your complete attention is on the water. And then as you continue, maybe you even reach the place where the river joins another body of water. And you have to figure out another way to follow it. You maybe need a boat or something else, a raft. This isn't quite the image that's used in the scriptures. I'm just, I'm ad-libbing here. <laughs> just describing a possibility of how things might evolve in our practice. You get on this little boat and you, you travel and suddenly that body of water gets so wide, it doesn't do to be in a boat. It's too confining. So you dive in. You break free and you dive in. And now that river completely encompasses you. You are soaked in it. You cannot get out. 
You don't want to get out. You want to stay within it, washed and clean. Now the magical proportions begin to happen. The world is even unreachable because you are so soaked in this clean water of the river. And in fact, you enter unknowingly, unexpectedly into the ocean, an ocean of water. It is boundless. It overtakes you. It consumes all the detritus within you completely. You are light. You float. You don't need a boat. The raft is gone. You are free. You're in the ocean. You never have to struggle along anymore, along the banks, unable to touch the untouchable, the unassailable. But suddenly you are within it. But actually it is within you. There is no you. There's no you. There's no river. There's no ocean. There is nothing. There's just consciousness in all its purity, completely aware and purified. Knowing by journeying, by traveling, that which at first seemed impossible. But you knew you had to do this. You had to take it up and persevere. The possibilities are indescribable. But when we go further and experience little by little what we couldn't do before suddenly just happens in its own time, in its own way. But it starts with the wish to see, to see clearly, to see beyond delusion. Beyond delusion means without greed, to see without greed, to see without hatred, to see without ignorance. And then we realize we are so ignorant. We are truly ignorant, but we think we know. If you have a teenager or you've been a teenager, then you know how ignorant we can get because we think we know everything. That's kind of the height of ignorance. And then we soon find out we don't know anything. But once we realize that and we get into a posture of humility, then we can really pay homage to what is worthy of homage. We have to. We chanted that today. We paid homage to the triple gems. Once we pay homage to the triple gems, they start to shine within us. You may have noticed by practicing more and more during these COVID times, many people have been skillfully using their time to add more and more practice into every day. And as we devote ourselves and our time to the practice, to going inward into the silence, into this sea 
of silence that is inward. The outward choice is not silent. We found that out. We keep finding it out. It's not silent and it doesn't stay silent. It may go quiet for a while, but then it becomes very tedious and noisy again. And we want to return inward where we can experience a real silence of the mind. And that's when we can see in ways we never saw before, because we've had the courage to practice more and purify more, to cleanse the mind, to lighten the burden of all that we carry and cling to. Our burden is simply a result, very difficult result of clinging. The more we cling, the more we suffer. We cling to the good and we cling to the not so good. But we must learn to differentiate and discern where to devote our energy, how to devote our energy. And it always comes back to how am I seeing? What is the way that I'm seeing and experiencing this moment right now? Am I overestimating? Am I judging? Or am I underestimating? And even in that, we have to look at how we're planting the person in there every time. Every time we use the word I and identify with this I, that's not necessarily a healthy insight. Insight into the emptiness where there is no I. There's no one to stand on, to be, to become. No one at all. We experience this by allowing ourselves to be soaked in this right view until we are as if in an ocean of truth. Soaked in it, bathed in it, purified by it. This can happen to each and every one of us. Whether we believe in it or not, we have to suspend belief and trust just one moment at a time. That we can do. That's not so easy to do, is it? But if we learn to trust more and more, then it will be possible for us to dedicate our energy to the work and to keep our feet on the path and go deeper and deeper till we cross, not the river, but we cross the ocean of samsara. We have to, we have to do this. That's why we received these bodies. That's why we chose this realm for that. We have the good fortune and the blessing to do that. We chose to do that. Let us do it slowly, but urgently, patiently and kindly, lovingly, with openness, heroically, with Herculean energy. Even if we're dying, we still have the verve to keep going. 
we can do it just by seeing in one moment our frailty and vulnerability like a leaf barely hanging on a tree and it will fall but when it falls it goes back to its elemental nature and eventually it is dissolved into that ocean of no being of completion of fruition of liberation in the book of fives the anguttara nikaya there's a short sutta number 25 it's called assisted so that means we need help if you get to a website that's not working for you just click on help this is a little sutta called assisted how do we get supported in this and the buddha uses the word bhikkhus but he's referring to us as disciples regardless of gender or convention culture or location we're in the human realm this teaching is for the fourfold sangha bhikkhus when right view is assisted by five factors it has liberation of mind as its fruit and benefit how wonderful is that the buddha is giving us a guarantee this is what will transpire when right view is assisted by five factors it has liberation of mind as its fruit and benefit it has liberation by wisdom as its fruit and benefit what five here right view is assisted by virtuous behavior that's number one if we are not acting in accord with the dhamma how can we possibly expect to free our minds from ignorance so virtuous behavior is the first factor that will help us to purify our view and it is only with the purification of view that the eightfold noble path can unfold can unravel under our own feet right view is assisted by learning we have to learn we have to learn the ropes we have to understand our own relationship to our dukkha to our suffering to its causes and to the way that ends that suffering then that will help us to unravel the eightfold path under our very own feet whatever way that we walk this path quickly slowly but we must persevere so we try to learn virtuous behavior is one learning in the right way learning through the scriptures through spiritual mentors spiritual friends and through our own practice what works and what doesn't we learn and we try not to repeat our mistakes we will make mistakes we will fall down 
in the beginning, the river was small. It was a creek, after all, barely coming out of the rocks. But it grows as we cut down the brambles and traverse those difficult areas and break through and break free. We learn how to do that by doing it. We have to do it. Right view is assisted by discussion. We speak, we share, we articulate, we meet with Sangha because we remember and we know that spiritual friendship is 100% of the path. 100%. And then right view is assisted by calm and insight. Calm means the mind grows quiet. When the mind grows quiet, then we see better, we know truly, we grow free moment by moment. And then insight comes. The eye of the Dhamma opens. It's a mysterious process. It's not one that we can conjure up through willpower or by wanting, but only by freeing our hearts from that identification with the self and doing this by totally giving ourselves to the practice without self-view or investment in a self, but just for the sake of doing what is right, for its own sake, for the sake of all beings, and for the liberation of mind. These are the five factors that are quintessential for developing right view. And then the Noble Eightfold Path will surely unfold in front of us. So those are a few reflections for tonight. And if you have a question, this would be a good time to ask. Thank you. Can you talk a bit more about when the river becomes the ocean and you are realizing that consciousness? Everyone experiences the path in their own way, but we can get glimpses of that because there will come times, there will become moments when we feel very light, very peaceful, very far away from the world. Sometimes you may not even feel your body. And that's okay, as the body is just a vessel to bring us to that, to enable that kind of knowledge. And then awareness may expand more and more. And it expands and deepens and widens like a river into an ocean that is measureless. And we just continue knowing that and knowing that. Peace and joy, unlike any worldly peace. But beyond that, there are more transcendent experiences. And it is possible to experience Nibbana by allowing this process to naturally develop. 
It is not unnatural, it's completely natural. One step follows upon another. It's only fear or expectation that stop us. If we want it, then that wanting is already not in the present moment. We have to be very attentive to how the mind responds to the present moment. We can't let it jump ahead and we can't lag behind out of fear. If there's even a trace of fear, how can you cross the ocean if you're afraid? There's no way. We want to get to the other side, but we can neither force it nor avoid it. Eventually, we will all cross it. Thank you. My question is, I'm wondering if you can suggest how I can free myself from past disappointments. Just your awareness is, is beautiful. You're doing it. You're doing it. Remember I talked about the path becomes obstructed by overgrowth and we have to cut our way through and we're held back. We can't advance in the ways that we want. But little by little, we suddenly realize that we are making progress. We are getting through. So don't be so judgmental of yourself. You're doing really good work. And you call yourself a beginner. That's a very good way of speaking about it because we're all beginners. And the journey is just what it is. It's just a deepening. And all these disappointments and things of the past are dead. So if you're carrying a lot of dead stuff around, but there's an attachment to it because we identify with the person that lived through that, but we are no longer that. So once we deepen more and more, we start to see, why am I carrying all this stuff? This is heavy. And finally, it lets us go. But the more we struggle with it, the more we're fascinated by it. It's a negative attachment. So we just have to see more and more that that's not who I am. That's not, there is no, no being of that. That's just memories. And we can surely let them go. Though they may be harder because we have, you're experiencing hiriotapa, which is a kind of moral reckoning. And all of us have moral reckonings about our life. Every one of us. Because that's how we learn. We make mistakes and we learn. But if we really learn them, we don't repeat them. That's all. Then they've served their purpose. No need to keep going over. Throw the notebook away. The recording of it, the karmic impact of it, has given you the teaching it needed to give you, and now you're on the way. You don't have to carry all that baggage anymore if it's weighing you down. This is really the next level of practice. And you have to be patient, but you can do it. One of the ways you learn to be patient is just by purifying the mind. Purify. Try chanting. When your mind starts getting caught up in the story of the past, just pick up one of the chants that's like a, a mantric type of chant, which can give your heart an object that is wholesome. And then memorize. Memorize two or three lines and keep chanting them to yourself. It's a way of soothing 
and bringing the mind back to the present moment. And that enables you to stop the thinking process because the thinking is suffering. Because the mind has learned that this is wholesome. So it just automatically does it. The mind leading the ignorance away. It kind of stops it because it goes to the chant instead of to the thoughts of the past. When you learn how not to suffer, your freedom expands in that. But it takes a long time. It's, and incrementally, you don't realize how much the river has widened because you've been doing the practice. It's getting wider and wider. You couldn't measure it, but you suddenly realize, wow, I'm not struggling with thought. I'm just bathing in the chant, bathing in the water of Dhamma. Then you feel, you feel such joy because you realize how much you're gaining in strength as a spiritual warrior. Thank you. Aya. I always find it a challenge to navigate through relationships because some of them, they're permanent until one party dies, primarily family. So if there's a sense that's not a wholesome relationship, should we not associate as often or should we use this as an opportunity to practice? and see what comes up within. We have that in the monastery too. There are people we have to deal with that we may not really like, but we can't choose. We can't say, well, no, we're not going to let them come here. We have to be equanimous. So we can look at these people as our teachers to see our own response to those situations and how can we strengthen our equanimity and we do that by developing unconditional compassion. It doesn't mean that you're agreeing with their conduct or their limited ways of, of how they can relate or their unskillfulness. But we, we keep coming back to where are we being unskillful and how can we have compassion for ourselves and for them? If we can't respond skillfully, we have compassion. If they don't behave skillfully, we have compassion. And we can also draw a line. We have to draw limits. We must draw boundaries. Okay, you can't talk to me like that. You may not say it, but you can not respond. You can be silent. If somebody offers us nasty words, very difficult not to respond. But silence is also a response. When the Buddha was vilified or insulted, people would abuse him verbally. And sometimes people even tried to abuse him physically. But he always maintained his peace and his stance of equanimity in the face of that. And sometimes he was silent. And so when he didn't retort, then the anger would be with the other person. So compassion is a good response, using the situations as an opportunity for learning our own weaknesses and fortifying more and more by developing unconditional equanimity. Who can do that? It's a, it's a lifetime project. But if we gain it, what value? What an adornment of the mind. So that would be our intention 
to use these things skillfully. And of course, there's another important option, which is to protect ourselves so that those people know that they have to be careful in our presence. They have to be respectful. As I learned many years ago, when Sayadaw, my teacher in Burma, told me, don't try to convert people to being Buddhist or anything like that, but just be a Buddha. Or be, embody the qualities of the Buddha. That's the only way that one can skillfully live in the world, is by embodying the teaching. We don't proselytize. We just try to be true disciples of the Buddha. And the disciple has in it the word discipline. That we have to teach ourselves how to do that, little by little. We all face those same kinds of, the scale of conditions, the good, the bad, the ugly, etc. This realm, everything is there. It's, uh, it's very daunting. And that's why we really want to perfect this path and these qualities so we don't have to keep being born again and again. <laughs>